0: Welcome back to the Bike Talk Podcast with Dave. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and this week we are headed back to Alaska and to the Iditarod Trail. Back in episode number six, I talked with Tyson Flaherty, the winner of the 350-mile version of the Iditarod Trail Invitational. From just outside of Anchorage, over the Alaska Range, and down the Kuskokwim River to McGrath, a small town deep in the interior of western Alaska. This week we're headed back down the riverbank and even deeper into Alaska's wild interior, through old gold Rush towns and to the Yukon River, and finally to Unilyte on the Bering Sea, and finally, over the Norton Sound, through the Topcock Hills and their famous hurricane force winds, and on to Nome. For the 1,000 mile version of the same race. Today we talk with Peter Inemann, a Chicago area fat biker who loves the expedition-style race along the Iditarod Trail. Peter has won this race an impressive three times. His first win was with West Virginian John Logar, who did become the first to win on both foot and bike when the two of them crossed the line in 2019. I was actually there for that one when I was following the race to create a movie, A Thousand Miles to Nome. Peter carried a GoPro for the film and helped capture the essence of the remote trail. I sat down with the two winners the day after they reached the Burled Arch finish on the main street in Nome. It was a great conversation with the two of them, and much of it was used to help tell the story in the film. And it was so good, and there was so much of it that I'm gonna be editing it and posting it here for next week's podcast. His second victory was alongside Casey Fagerquist and Jill Martindale in 2020. And the three were, in fact, the only three to make it to Nome. And we'll hear a bit of that crazy story from that year from Peter in the podcast. So this was his first solo victory, finishing in just over 16 days. And I've been going on long enough. It's time for me to shut up and introduce you to Peter Innaman, Iditarod Trail Champion. Hey, Peter, without an E, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you, Dave?
0: I'm doing very well. You are a couple weeks back from the Iditarod Trail Invitational, the thousand mile version this year. Yeah. We talked to Tyson already uh, about a month ago. Um, mm-hmm and uh, got his reaction to riding the 350 to McGrath. But I definitely wanted to chat with you about the thousand mile race. All right. uh, So let's let's rock on. First of all, this is your third trip to Nome? Fourth. Your fourth trip to Nome. I went Mm -hmm. back into the results and I must've just missed you, but when was your first?
1: So my first one, my rookie year was in twenty seventeen. My full my full one thousand mile.
0: I started in twenty fifteen. When did you do the McGrath?
1: In twenty fifteen, that was my first three fifty trip, and then from there, I uh, I've been back and did one thousand since. So four times to Nome.
0: In 2017, how long did it, how was your trip that year?
1: The weather was pretty, it was really cold that year, I remember. Everybody was saying that it's super cold, even like local guys were saying that was the year when Tim Hewitt biked and he finished okay. uh, that year.
0: Yeah, that was
1: first, oh yeah, yeah, that's him yeah. So I remember it was super cold, and that year I did a sled dog race. Didn't start it at Nick Lake, but they started at um, Fairbanks. So there was basic, there was basically there was very little trails or no trails sometimes between um, after Takotna all the way to Ruby. We didn't know what to expect, and it was really tough. It was a lot of snow. There was some um, remaining uh, scarce trail from Iron Dog, but it was blown over with a lot of fresh snow. And uh, and it was pretty scary to leave McGrath that year. So, you know, plus it was unknown for me. So I
0: had no idea what I'm going to <laughs> into. So, well, no matter the year, it seems like everybody talks about leaving the graph is the start of a yeah. long race. But especially yes. your first, like, year. you know, exactly, yeah. My, um,
1: every time, like after that first year, it wasn't. It was pretty. Um, it was not that scary to leave the graph anymore. You know, once you know what you can expect. It's always, you know, it's, uh, it's less stressful, kind of. <laughs> yeah.
0: Speaking of that, I'm curious how you would describe two things. One, how would you describe the Iditarod Trail Invitational? And then two, how would you describe the Iditarod Trail? So I'm going to ask you the first one first. How would you describe to somebody, you live in Chicago? Yeah. How do you describe to somebody you meet in Chicago the Iditarod Trail Invitational?
1: So it's it, uh, it's following the historic uh, serum run from well, it's not original trail, but it's using a lot of the trails. There's a lot of trails named, named same. <laughs> but uh, basically, it's following, for the most part, the historical Iditarod Trail from connect to Nome for 1,000 miles. And then our race, it's human-powered race. And then you have choice of biking, running, or skiing. So, uh, but it's all human-powered. There's no dogs, no machines, just us <laughs> involved to get there, so that would be our race. (laughs) Uh,
0: I know how I envisioned the trail itself before I went, and just so our listeners know, I was there in 2019 and and worked with you to help make a movie called A Thousand Miles to Nome, Mm -hmm. uh, which I truly appreciate and uh, people have been, I hope, enjoying since then. But uh, I had a vision of the Iditarod Trail, actually, my, well, I'm not gonna say, but I had a vision of what the Iditarod Trail was before I went, and then I learned by being there what it was really like. How would you describe the trail itself, the Iditarod Trail, to somebody who has not been there? Mm.
1: So it don't exist in the winter. On snow and on ice, there's a lot of a lot of rivers and lakes are the part of it. So there's basically no trail in summer, or just very little sections probably. I've never been there in the summer, so, <laughs> but guessing by how many miles and miles of um, ice travel basically on rivers and and lakes involved. So I don't think it would be possible.
0: I mean, in summer, so. Um, Uh, I was surprised at the amount of traffic on the trail. I had a vision of when you guys leave Kinnick, you go into the wilderness not to emerge until Nome. And I knew you went through McGrath and I knew you went through Unikaleed Mm -hmm. and other small villages, but I had no vision of what they might be like. And I just figured you went off into the wilderness and had to find your way across the interior of Alaska. But what I found was the trail is old. The trail was developed in the early 1900s and it was to supply the interior villages and the gold mining and to connect to the Bering Sea from, Mm -hmm. you know, the Anchorage area, I guess. Front range, front range of the Alaska Range. And there were roadhouses, you know, every 20 miles there was a a roadhouse a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago. And some of those roadhouses exist, which would be Yetna, which would be Squintna, Mm -hmm. which would be Finger Lake. And, you know, Rainy Pass Lodge was an old, you know, an old checkpoint. But uh, that just blew me away. And it blew me away in Squintna when people would ride their snow machines up from Kinick mm-hmm. or wherever to have lunch and then ride back. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, we're out in the middle of nowhere. But there's um, a lot of traffic. There's a lot of commerce that still runs on that trail.
1: That maybe seems like that to you because, you know, that, I mean, at the beginning it's, you know, those lodges are, they, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of them, but, uh Later on, further down the trail, there's nothing at all. I mean, really, it's probably the first, I don't know, 100 miles of the trail. It's very busy with, the, you know, people traveling between those uh, roadhouses and places and cabins. But that all basically stops after McGrath. There's only very few... Um, villages after that and there's really long stretch especially after McGrath there's another village like 18 miles after McGrath, the village of Chakotna, and from there there's, there's basically nothing all the way to Ruby and that is it's close to uh, 200 miles of nothing and no villages, no, there's there's a couple of cabins, like um, public shelter cabins or safety cabins, they call them. Mm
0: -hmm. But that's it,
1: nothing else. So the north... It may seem like, you know, when you're like, when you get somewhere and then you're kind of like moving around that um, roadhouse or, you know, little village, it seems like a lot of traffic, but they have no reason to go hundred mi- I mean hundred miles away from village to village if really they don't have to do it if they don't need to do it, they don't do it they just wouldn't go that far because there's no reason I and mean, it's you know and it's dangerous it's risky for them so they, why wouldn't they why would they take the chances so they don't it's just they they don't cross these these long stretches if they don't absolutely have to they don't do it so it's can be it can get very Lonely, especially especially further down the trail, closer to Nome. Um, yeah, there, there there's village there's villages there are villages like six sixty miles, fifty miles in between. Some stretches are shorter, but then, I mean, some stretches are super long and super remote, so.
0: I'm, yeah, there, I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> there is, you said it's busy. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. And, and my perception is essentially to McGrath and then from Nome backwards. where mm-hmm. they're, Like you said, there's there's more villages. But that interior is is kind of crazy. I want to go through mm-hmm. each kind of section of your race this year and talk about how it went. But I also want to talk about your time alone. You said it was... It was lonely after McGrath this year and your previous two you've won twice. So you've done it four times. And, uh, in 2019 you and John Logar came across the finish line together ahead of everyone mm-hmm. else in 2020, you were one of three people who made it past unically, uh, and got, uh, got to Nome before the race was shut down because of, um, well, that was Bering Sea, COVID. It was a complicated year <laughs> that year, for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, but again, you finished with two other people. And then this year, you spent a lot of time alone. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll get to uh, the time alone. But I'd like to ask, how was the first, I'm going to call it first third of the race through the Alaska Range, up the rivers, down the rivers to McGrath? How was that this year for you?
1: So, even before we started, there was like this um, panning mode almost between everybody, between all the races, all the, all the racers, um, because it was really warm, like two weeks prior. it started the winter started really cold, and there was a lot of snow, nobody worried about uh, the weather, but it's only, it always changes so. And it did. And so, like two or three weeks before the race, before we were supposed to start, it got super warm and snow was melting. Uh, Overflow was flowing on the top of the rivers and uh, lakes. And everybody was like pan, almost not panicking, but (laughs) Um, it was very uncertain what uh, what we're going to do, like, how we're going to get to uh the first checkpoints because it's basically all wetlands um lakes and rivers first 100 miles or so and if there's a lot of i mean slush and overflow you can't really go through it so uh there was a lot there was a lot of talk about alternative routes and uh, basically uh, and, and if you don't live there you, you have no idea, you don't know all these trails so my plan was just to just to stick with some local guys, fresh guys and just follow them because like, I, can, I couldn't make the plan because I don't know all those trails and roads in that area so that was my plan and it kind of worked and somehow everybody f- found their way to to get uh, the worst uh, section done. It it from where I heard it, it it looks really funny when you look when you uh, look at the uh, track leader's replay. Like everybody like scattered like you like you <laughs> it's almost like you <laughs> like everybody like like you, sh- you can shoot into a bunch of. <laughs> Goose and everywhere, like spread all over the place, you know. Yeah, so, well, yeah. there yeah. was a
0: new checkpoint thirty miles in this yes. year. Yes, yeah. And the one of the rules with the Iditarod Trail Invitational is you don't have to follow any specific trail. You just need True, the yeah. checkpoints. Yeah. So every it sounds like everybody was taking the different way to this new checkpoint.
1: Yeah. It it was kind of funny because I. I kind of followed the fast group I think it was like 20 of us or, somebody, or something like that and we got to the intersection I think it was Burma Burma road and like, half of the guys started coming up on the top from the trail up on the top of the road and then a few guys turned back and went back down to the trail and kept going I'm like hmm so <laughs> I, I just followed. yeah, yeah, it was funny. But somehow we all ended up at the right place eventually. Yeah. But it was kind of, it was kind of um, unnerving, not knowing where to go because at one point it was so soft. They were following the railroad track. It was really slow and, and soft, slog, and then, and then everybody disappeared. And then all the time I'm like alone on, on some uh, railroad track, following the tracks in front of me. And then there was a like snowmobile uh, crossing. and I saw a couple of bike track tracks going to the left, so I just followed them. And then a bunch of snowmobile snow machines passed me. So they, they erased everything, oh. all the tracks. So right. I just kept going and eventually I found more and somehow I made it to, to the first checkpoint at the butterfly lake. But yeah,
0: huh, that's it's, crazy kind of,
1: it's hard if you don't know where you're going and you're just trying to get somewhere.
0: Was it more straightforward after that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, after that, uh, there was one 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 more um, mistake I made. Um, from the first checkpoint at Butterfly Lake, we had to kind of it. There's another lake, another big lake, and a trail. It's Cow Lake, and the and it trails kind of going across the lake, and then at before the end of the lake on the other side, it turns left, and I kind of follow the trail, which is the the right. I did ride a trail, but nobody was taking that because it was impassable after that. So I got kind of lost, and I was going back and forth like three times. And I, I probably lost like an hour and a half, two hours on that lake, not knowing where to go. Wow. And I, 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 I kept seeing people coming from the other direction, but they're going back to the checkpoint. So I'm like, it didn't make sense for at first for me to go that way, but that was the right way because... Right before that section, I I started seeing them. There was a left turn, and there was the uh, like exit from that area. Finally found it, and I made it all the way to the river eventually. And then, uh, then from if you get and when I got to the river, there's only one trail really, and it, and it it, it it goes all the way to Yentna.
0: Yeah, you're talking about the Yenta River.
1: Yeah, yeah. So from there, it was pretty, you know, obvious. And then there's a bunch of local trails and there's like new ice road. It's, it's been there for a few years now, but you never know where, it's, where exactly it's going. And like a few years back, I think in 2020, it just stopped at the river. It's, it's right at the Happy uh, River. Mm. It steps. And it just stopped there, and this year it, it just it, it kept going all the way to uh, Finger Lake. So you just never know uh, what they're doing, where is it going? It's kind of sometimes it's kind of hard to follow something which you don't know where <laughs> you right, know right. following sure. the road, but
0: yeah, you don't know where, to, where, where it's going. So, <laughs> huh? That that is kind of crazy. Route finding skills are, yeah. are very important. Sometimes it's just,
1: you're just guessing. I mean, you, you have choice of really bad trail or a really good road, but you don't know where the road's going. But sometimes you just take the chance and- Right,
0: and you hope it doesn't just dead end Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's so cottage or camp. something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. A mining camp. <laughs> uh, McGrath had a new checkpoint as well. How was that?
1: Oh, it was great. Uh, we were so I mean, I think we were lucky that that um, the the large owner they just bought the place like a few months ago or something like that. really nice people, and they offered um, our race to use it. So it was pretty awesome. Uh, huge garage where we can uh, park our bikes and repack and everything. It was big. Big plus. It was great. Yeah, place great. is really nice. Yeah,
0: pancakes. But, I'm sorry, mancakes. Um,
1: yeah. cakes. Not exactly the mancakes.
0: <laughs> so at the Looking same time, great.
1: yeah, yeah. I'm I, I just there's there's not there's nothing like I mean like Peter's and Tracy's Schneider Heinz's place. It's just I'm so so happy and. I feel so lucky that I was able to um, be there in those previous years. And, yeah, same and, and, I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I, before I left McGrath, I felt so, I felt kind of sad and sorry. So I had to stop. I stopped at Peter's and Tracy's place just to say hi and talk to them for a little bit. It was so nice. They were so happy to talk to somebody. Yeah, very cool.
0: So, how was it beyond there? And again, this is uh, kind of dropping off the edge of the planet into the wilderness from McGrath. Yeah. Um, yeah. How was that for you?
1: The, the weather this year, uh, after that day one start, it got colder and colder. Not like super cold, but it was like five below at night and blow freezing during the day. So it wasn't too bad, there was a lot of wind, but nothing crazy at the beginning. And um, because there was, I was expecting a lot of snow this year, but it, it really, it was, it, it was opposite actually. So um, there was still some reminding stretch, stretches of uh, Iron Dog Trail. The, the you know the snowmobile race that happened like two weeks before our race, so I followed that basically all the way to Ruby, and I was lucky enough that we had no snow. Basically, it was windy, it was warm, but some tri- some uh, sections were overblown, filled with snow, but overall it was mostly rideable. I pushed. Few few times, but not too bad. Hmm, Wow! So, yeah. So, and then the wind was had some really good uh, tailwind at at times. Yeah. (laughs) Um. There was some. There was some. Um. um, Sections that the Iron Dog instead of taking the trail, I um I did rock trail. They took the river instead. So, for them, you know, it's open, wide open, river frozen. So, it makes sense for them to take it and they can just bomb it down the river. But for us, it was like extra 12 miles or so.
0: Oh, it <laughs> but doesn't matter. Yeah, at the same time.
1: Yeah. But there was no trail other than that. So, it, I had to follow the, the snowmobile track. Right. Uh, yeah. So, it was pretty good. And I remember it was super windy when I left from McGrath, going to Takotna and past Takotna to Ofer. There was there was a lot of branches and trees, down trees. It was pretty intense, but I was kind of like hidden uh, at the first uh, between There's a lot of trees. I mean, around McGrath, it's still it's a wood area, so. Um, yeah, I had pretty good tailwind after that and were all the way alone? to, offer.
0: Were you yes, alone yes. so I life? left,
1: yeah, so I left McGrath, I think, uh, uh, one day I, I made it to McGrath, uh, as a first 1000 rider.
0: But you were um, with 350 riders coming into McGrath, weren't you?
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I was first one a 1000 mile rider to McGrath. And I, I took plenty of rest. I repacked everything. And then I left, like, a day ahead of guys behind me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they, they, got the, they got into McGrath, like, maybe half a day after me, something like that. But they decided to stay longer, I guess. Oh. But I felt pretty good. And then I know, like, longer you stay... Harder it's, it's to get going again right. as your body starts to you know uh, recover and then it's really hard to get back on the trail and get moving. So once you get a good rest, you just it, it's better to leave and keep going. So that's what I did. It felt pretty good. Um, yeah, and then there's the long stretch before Takotna and Merubi with only one resupply place. Which is uh, at Cripple Checkpoint. Right. But that's only, uh, that's only a point on the map. There's, no, there's nothing. There's no town or any village or anything. They it's just a tent, isn't it? It's a tent city, basically. Yeah. They fly everything. I did a sled dog race fly. They fly everything to that big meadow and they built basically mm-hmm. a tent city with everything so that it comes to the tricky part because the trail doesn't go directly through that camp or through a checkpoint i once i was like i was really close before the checkpoint and i just i had like enough food because i was i guess i don't know ahead had too much too far ahead and i wasn't sure if they if our race will be able to get our food drops there to the checkpoint before I'll be through there. So, um, so I packed a little extra leaving, uh, McGrath and, uh, was hoping for the best. <laughs> and I remember from previous years that like five miles after there's one last cabin before that crippled ch- uh, checkpoint. And, um, uh, I remember from previous years, it's only like five miles away from that cabin. So I passed the cabin and I'm going, and it's like six miles, seven miles. I see no no signs of a checkpoint. No, it was getting late and I couldn't see any lights and no sound, nothing. So I just kept going and all of a sudden, I'm like 12 miles past the cabin. And no checkpoint. So I looked at my GPS, and sure thing, I was way past the checkpoint. So basically, so basically, the, the Iron Dog race—they don't, you know—they're just doing their own thing. Right. And I did a built their camp like half a mile from the trail. So before the Iron Dog Trailbreakers go through that area, there's no trail in and out of the checkpoint. Wow! So i i, I bypassed they basically bypassed the checkpoint and all my food and my three supplies. And I, when I realized that, I'm like, uh, I'm not going back, right? No. And and this, and if, even if, even if I did, I I would be post hauling in like waist deep snow for half a mile long. So that didn't make sense to me. So I just completely scratched the idea. And uh, I knew I had enough food to get to Ruby. If I, if, I'll make, if I was going to make it in two days, I had enough food. And uh, so I, I calmed myself down <laughs> and um, set up a little a can, boil, uh, melted a lot of snow for water, cooked a dinner. And two hours later, I found spot uh i did be on side of the trail and then just get going early in the morning because trail got really soft that day it was pretty warm so i was i decided to sleep and then head out early in the morning when the trail is a little firmer mm-hmm. and i did and i made it all the way to ruby the next day so oh, wow. even very little well, basically no food left so, but I made it to Ruby, just,
0: had just enough to get it there. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's kind of intense. Yeah. Yeah. Is Ruby where you jump on the Yukon river?
1: Yes. So that's, I'm calling it like gateway to Yukon. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So uh, the Ruby is basically on a pretty tall side or, or, or has bank and riverbank. Some, some of it is even like cliffs along the river so it's pretty up high perched on top of the I don't know maybe it could be like 300 feet oh wow above the river or something like that yeah hmm. yeah so I met it there late at night and the funny thing is I was going to bypass Ruby all you know all all along and just keep going on on, on, on the Yukon so I didn't send any any oh food, no any drop to Ruby, yep. <laughs> but there's um there's a bed and breakfast place. Um so I, I knew I can in you know in uh, if I needed to, I can always knock on the door and they're very nice people. So I spent uh, yeah, I, I ate a bunch of food and um, spent the night could you resupply?
0: Was there a, a little grocery store there?
1: No, but there's there was a lot of boxes from the racers that scratched already oh, from the race okay. and then you know that's the kind of like rule of the trail that you can kind of you know open those boxes and get what you need if you need something right, right. so i i only grabbed a few things because it's only like 52 miles to the next village of galena and uh, and, and i had uh, my food drop at that village so i only needed like a day worth of snacks and yeah. to get there. Yeah, that's cool so, yeah. But once I get on the Yukon, it got really cold. This is why I didn't, it's why I just stopped there and spend the night instead of just eating a, a dinner and keep going. And I, at that time I had pretty good, um, lead. I felt comfortable. But never too comfortable.
0: <laughs> are you? But are you I racing? I remember asking John Logar at Rainy Pass. I, I asked him. I said, "Are you? Are you racing?" And he's like, "No, no, no, no. You don't race until like it's not a race um, until some point because yeah. so much can happen. Are you yes, thinking yeah. in your head that you'd like to come across the line first at some point?
1: Well, after that, I. I it's like before I even started this year, I was like, "This is just, I'm gonna do it." You know, it's I wanna enjoy it. But later on, I felt pretty good, and then I had that pretty good lead, and um, I started thinking about just you know keep yeah, go- I would just keep going, and and I I was actually getting a lot of rest, you know, so I I was not depleted, and I can't I, I kind of. It just kept going, and it was basically taking advantage of of uh, of um, good weather. Mm-hmm. So once you get good weather, you have to take advantage of it and just keep
0: going. Yeah. And so it, it it's not a, really about racing; it's about taking making the best of an opportunity, which is good weather exactly. On trail.
1: Exactly. And you just yep. go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 And then, you know, you, if you can get a forecast for the next few days, great. And if there's a good window, just, you have to take advantage of it and keep going. And I felt pretty good because every time, I mean, I, I finished, or, you know, I was co-winner of two previous years, and I've heard some doubt that, I'll, I'll always finish with somebody you know and sure I kind of felt good that because I knew I can do it I mean I've done some other stuff the uh, solo um so I I knew I wouldn't have a problem with that it's just like I had opportunity to, to did it on my own you know and it feels kind of
0: good I imagine it does. like I'm not
1: I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the company in those previous years. It was great. You can share those moments with somebody else. It's great, but it's it's different um, experience if you do it on your own. It's it's it. I would say it's a little harder mentally. I had really hard times um, when the trail went bad, and I was. I had a really hard time I had to push or there, there, there was there was some moments uh, I was kind of not desperate but um, very down felt it was tough just tough going and if you're by, alone by yourself and you have um, you're going through those hard times by yourself it's really hard it's a lot easier if, you, if you're sharing that you know pain and um and hardship with somebody else right. it's not necessarily that you have to talk about just seeing somebody with you going through the same process you know and same hardship it makes you makes it feel less um terrifying and less it's easier i would say
0: yeah they so say misery that
1: just you know, the, mm-hmm.
0: yes Misery loves
1: company. You somebody. share with it somebody. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So in that, in this um, manner, it, it's it's easier to have a company. But I felt pretty good. I did it myself, and uh, it's a different experience.
0: I'd like to move ahead a whole bunch of miles onto the Bering Sea, mm-hmm. and really from White Mountain, which is the last town before you get to Nome. What's that, 70 miles maybe from Nome?
1: Yes, around 70, 72 miles. Something like
0: that. Um, and it was hard this year, not just for you, oh, but yeah. uh, the dogs had a hard time. Uh, Tim Hewitt got blown out of the blowhole when he was mm-hmm. in uh, his backwards thing, maybe, what, two weeks before your race?
1: Yeah. yeah. I feel
0: like the blowhole was the obstacle this year, and it's so mm-hmm. close to the finish. What was your mm-hmm. experience like after leaving White Mountain?
1: Yeah, so in previous years I was always lucky, and I never had a blowhole active, or you know, really windy on that uh, section of the coast. So I was joking before, even before I made it to White Mountain, that I joking myself. <laughs> that hopefully I'll get a full experience this year because I was thinking maybe this is the last time I'm doing it. <laughs> Be <laughs> and careful then what you wish <laughs> I know. Yep, yeah. So um, I was even thinking about posting something from some village that I'm looking for some uh, uh, business hours for a blowhole and stuff like that. You know, you, you had a lot of time obviously by yourself <laughs> to think about stupid things. <laughs> so yeah, so um, it was very windy basically um it started at Caltech and at Overland Trail. It was pretty great because it was all tailwind all the way to the the sea to Unalakleet and that it kind of it Switch from tailwind to a uh, headwind, like side headwind, and it was super windy. So I kind of knew it's gonna be a problem. Um, because it was not nowhere to stop, it was just blowing like crazy, basically from Caltech all the way to Nome.
0: I was crossing the Bering Sea at from shaktulik to uh, is it Koyak or is Grant? Koyuk. Grant says Koyak.
1: <laughs> Koyak, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty tough. It's you know it's there's no shelter whatsoever, just that one little cabin about fourteen miles from Tulik and uh, I I was going to go to that cabin because I was at Shektulik pretty early, but the wind was blowing so hard that it didn't make sense to keep going, and that cabin. It's not really, it's one of the worst cabins. I mean, it's still uh, a shelter, but there's no wood usually because it's on a perch. It's, it's almost like an island in the sea ice. So unless somebody um, brings the, 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 the firewood on a snow machine there, there's no firewood. So I, I, I opted for staying. Uh, I checked to its school, which was a great move. And I left early in the morning and I made it uh, all the way to Koyak that day. It was a really long day because the, the wind was pretty, uh, pretty strong. And I didn't have a trail, basically. So so when uh, the trail breakers from the snow, the snow slide dog race, um, they, you know, they are like two days ahead of dogs. Mm-hmm. But this year I was kind of mm-hmm. far ahead of them, so I didn't see basically anybody all the way to Koyak. So that's where they those uh, trailbreakers passed me. Oh wow! It was the first time they passed, me. and I've seen my first dog sled team passing me after Ealing. Wow! So I haven't. Been, yeah, you almost beat them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I almost did because they stopped at White Mountain later on for eight hours uh oh, rest, So you caught them mandatory. So I caught them. I was there with them, but they then they left like two hours ahead of me at night. Oh. And then yeah, well later on I'll I'll get back to it. So from late it was pretty it was pretty tough but doable. But the thing thing is that I I couldn't. I didn't have any trails to follow. Everything was... There. I mean, there's some snowmobile tracks, but they were all blown over. And the first section to the cabin, those first 14 miles are pretty obvious because it's still considered uh, a land or, you know, um, it's, it's like swampland and right. they have those uh, tripods, markers. Oh, so right. you can kind of follow all the way to the little cabin. And from there... I couldn't see any trail, any tracks. So what I did, I set up my GPS to Koyak, you know, to um, to follow all the way to Koyak. And I did basically a straight line
0: wow. <laughs> from the
1: cabin to Koyak. So I did my own trail that day. And it was probably the shortest trail from everybody else. But... Wow it had its own difficult i mean uh, challenges because i like couple of times i stepped into a um, seawater there were like pools of unfrozen seawater i mean it was not open sea open water but there was some some like pools of um, salty salt water
0: are you sea- thinking out yeah. Do you, I mean, you're I, alone
1: I, out there in the sea ice. Yeah. I, I freaked out when I when I first hit that puddle, at that sea ice, or uh, seawater puddle with my front wheel. And I'm like, huh, I paying pay any more attention where I'm going. When I was paying attention, but it was kind of, you can hardly tell it's the water because it's covered with, like, a little, you know, uh, uh, a bit of snow on the top. Right. And then I just... I paid more. I paid more attention and I was kind of following these like uh, frozen uh, ramps of rideable snow. It was very firm, like a crust ramps, I would say. So I was basically zigzagging and finding something I can ride on. And there's a lot of, also a lot of snow that I couldn't ride. So I pushed a bunch, but I, I felt pretty really good about it that I kind of laid my own trail and I yeah. was riding instead of pushing. And, you know, I would spend hours looking for some some tracks and there's a bunch of old tracks from locals going back and forth, but everything was kind of, you never know where they're going. So right. I just kept going straight. And then later on it got dark and I can finally see the lights mm. from um, of that village and felt like never ending. And the way they kind of go, that trail, when they mark the trail, it kind of goes more to the right and close to the shore. So it's kind of like a big curve. Yep. And then they eventually hit the, the, um, the, the overland trail. And that's how they get, Is how they usually get to Koyak, the yep. village. But I was going straight. And there was like a bunch of like broken up ice right before the village. It was pretty bad. It was, it was so crazy. It was a jumble of ice and, you know, icebergs frozen in time. <laughs> so was, it was like, like half a mile before the village. I can see the lights. I can see the buildings and everything. My house was going up and down, scrambling, dragging my bike across those icebergs and crevices, you know.
0: That's like a polar it's adventure.
1: Kind of like, <laughs> yeah. It was like the um, last drop that day, but I made it a decent hour to Koyak. It was like 9 o'clock in the evening, and I was able to uh, uh, locate somebody to open the school for me, so I had a awesome. pretty nice, comfortable night. And then at, at that night, trail breakers finally passed me, so from there I had finally some trail well, some markers to follow. It doesn't necessarily mean it's good because eight snowmobilers passed me, those trail breakers, and and then trails, like, total trash, you know. They just turned it into uh, mashed
0: potatoes. Yeah, mashed
1: mashed potatoes, uh, crystal snow, non was I was punching through to my, like, through uh like ankle deep in that snow. Yes. So I was happy for a minute and did <laughs> I have some trail, trail markers ahead of me, but then it um quickly this you know <laughs> my my uh <laughs> trail was not firm. Um, trail no not ridable. So I instead of following the trail I went on sea, on sea ice again i remember i remember yeah a few years back instead of following our overla- overland route i went like to the left and kind of followed the shore on on sea ice and this it was rideable this year it's not always rideable because it depends on the quality of the sea ice but right. this year it was pretty pretty solid so i just followed the shore for maybe 10 miles 11 miles and then eventually both, both of those trails emerge uh, and then from there it was rideable it's pretty wide nice trail they um, used i mean there's like some heavy uh traffic before not I should say heavy traffic but there's like there's some movement between the villages so it was pretty good pack trail but right. but wind didn't uh, wind didn't stop and it was pretty I have some footage of, of pretty, it looks pretty awesome on a video, like, you know, the, the ground blizzard. Like, um, and it was basically, um, it, it never stopped all the way to to snow. So, wow.
0: Yeah. yeah, I saw a video um, of your, was it the Topcock cabin? The old yeah. Topcock cabin and snow yes. was, or wind was just really destroying that place. <laughs> yeah, filling yeah, it yeah. with snowdrifts and and mm-hmm. uh, it just looked miserable. Yeah, how yeah. was it crossing so, the blowhole? Actually, you were going to take us to uh, White Mountain. White Mountain, dogs. yes.
1: Mm-hmm. So I made it to White Mountain like early in the evening. Um, uh, we usually stay at um, Joanna's place but she was out of town this year. She's a volunteer. She's a host of the last checkpoint. Super nice lady. Uh, but unfortunately, this this time she was uh, traveling. So she was out of town, but they have um, a house they, they are renting in uh, in the Martin mountain. So they, she, um, she offered, for us to use that place so it was pretty awesome That's super um nice. yeah like two bedroom little house so i i um uh, i cooked some food went to a grocery store a, a, like native grocery store pretty pretty close by so i'm like i gotta go get a, a can of coke and i did it was the best um and some snacks and um uh, I repacked everything. That's where I had my last uh, food drop. And it's it feels like you're almost there. You're almost done, you know. Right. It's only 70 miles or so. So it, it's very deceiving. <laughs> it feels like you got it, you know, you got it done almost. Very positive. But those Top Cog Mountains, man, they're, they're not tall, but it's wide open. They're basically like... Um, round, open hills. There's no shelter. There's, there's no vegetation. Very little, uh, like, shrubbery, some little uh, bush, but no trees, wide open. Um, and I had some hard times before. Like, in 2020, we had, uh, like, sideways, sideway rain and stuff, but it wasn't cold. But what what I was going to experience this year was way far from anything I'd <laughs> experienced before. Um, and it's very deceiving because I was I left at like a midnight, I think, or two, seven. Um no, at two in the morning I left White Mountain. It was like five below, wind was blowing, but not too bad. I, I wasn't like really, I, w- I didn't worry about the wind because it was just very um, soft wind. And I couldn't, because I left at night, I couldn't see the tops of those uh, top cotton hills. And if I, if, I was, if I left during the day, you can always see like a haze over the tops. And then, and that way, you know, you're not supposed to be there. But as, as I left at night, you can see that.
0: The haze of the mountain blizzard.
1: Yes, yeah. Very hazy and it's like, yeah. Um, so I left and first maybe seven miles or so, maybe, like maybe five miles down the river. And then you eventually turn left on, on the land and then you start climbing those um, hills and as I was climbing higher and higher further the wind was gaining strength and so I had to add more layers um kept going and then at that point it was it was blowing super hard but I still I, I, it's like, you know, you don't want to turn around and go back because right. it feels like, you know, you can make it. And then I knew there's a, a shelter cabin right on, on the other side of the mountains, the Topcock shelter cabin. So I just kept going, but it was getting worse and worse. And at one point I was just, it was in, pretty insane. Um, I couldn't see anything. Wind was blowing, snow was blowing. I couldn't see anything in my light, like maybe a uh, five feet ahead of me. Um, and wind gust was so bad; it was basically like I started pushing my bike, but I couldn't because it was tossing my like seventy pound bike like a like a like a piece of straw. Jeez. So <laughs> um, sometimes I had to like hunched down with my bike because I wasn't, able, I wasn't strong enough to stand in that wind. Um, it was very intense. I'm not going to lie. I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I'm going to make it. I, I, I don't want accelerate things, but I wasn't sure if I'm going to make it across at one point. It was so bad. And there was still more hills uh, ahead of me. I knew um, this, it's like never ending you go up and down, up and down um, so I tried to push my bike and when I had it like against the wind it was pushing me so hard that I basically couldn't walk the bike was kind of like <laughs> um, pushing me on my side too hard so I tried the other side and then the whole bike was like flying like a flag <laughs> I was just holding my front wheel but the back of my bike was was hell uh, with the wind, Jeez. which was blowing. It was, it was crosswind, it was blowing from my right side. So the only way to get out of there in some decent time or at all was to ride. So I decided to, to ride as much as I can. So I got on my bike, I leaned against the wind and just, just equalizing those wind gusts. And that's how I got through it. At one point, I, I, I found that, I mean, I saw the, the old A-frame cabin, that video I took from. Yeah. And I, I decided to uh, take a short rest. Like, uh, you know, maybe I still, like, I'm not even 10 minutes inside because there's there are no doors, no window. It's just, it's just open. It was blowing from the side, so it, had, it, it was nice. It was better than nothing. It was... Some, it was sort of shelter, but wait, like the snow was blowing inside. There was tons of snow inside. It'd be better than nothing, but still, um, I was not going to stay there. And nope. I knew it's probably like an additional five miles to the good shelter cabin.
0: Another so, five.
1: Yeah, I think it's five or four miles, yeah. something like this. I has- had to
0: feel like an eternity.
1: Oh, yeah. At that point, you don't even care what time it is. It was dark. And it, it, it was pretty crazy. It was like a <laughs> like, um, snowball, you know. I couldn't see. A few times I, got, I didn't get lost, but I lost the trail markers. And I was so happy to have them. Because without that, without those uh, trail markers, they have a little reflective uh, strip. It's basically a lap with the reflector on it and some little flag, you know, like um, um, it's like a duct tape flag yep. or something. Yep. So you can see it really. It's it's always visible during the day and during the night. So I would basically basically, like, sometimes I couldn't even see from one to the next one.
0: Don't they put them 50 uh, feet uh, apart?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: I think uh, they're 50 yeah. feet apart.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was it was pretty it was pretty bad i haven't it's probably the worst um time i had ever on i did including 2020 uh rainy path which was really bad but this was definitely it was worse than that wow it was yeah so i think it was i don't know it was like five below but the windshield, I think it was blowing like 60 miles an hour with you're, 70 miles You are walking
0: through a winter hurricane.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And it's funny that when I finished, and it kind of like very quickly, didn't forget about it, but kind of like, uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel, it, feels, it almost felt, uh, feels like a dream now, you know? But then I was reading those stories from um, the, uh, the mushers. They they were basically there right after me. Some of them ahead of me, and I'm like, "Wow, this really you know happened. It was really bad. It's not just me. It 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 was really really bad, you know."
0: <laughs> I heard. <laughs> am I right? Six funny. mushers had to be rescued. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, you're 50 miles from Nome. Not even are you. 40 or 50 miles when you get to yes 45
1: miles something yeah 45 miles from yeah if we get make it to the cabin it's about 45 miles but there's still a lot of those blowholes on the shore yeah uh, so I finally made it to the shelter cabin and I was I was incredibly happy that I made it and they um I first 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 off I thought well, it 's got to be a different cabin because they remodeled uh, the cabin they they raised it up it's, it now it, it used to be it used to sit on the ground and now it's like three feet in um, on the top of like um uh, it's like a platform mm-hmm. it sits on top of the platform which and it's three three feet above the the, the ground and they added uh uh, led lights with solar panels inside wow. it's super nice they replace the windows and doors it, it is the best right now and it, it's for the reason i mean you really need that if you in that kind of situation and in, in, in this weather out there so it's very very it's super nice was it stocked with so, wood it was there was tons of wood it was stuck to the ceiling with the wood (laughs) wow did you encounter
0: anyone else out there
1: no no No. I was um was these two guys um two dog teams were ahead of me probably like a couple hours Mm -hmm. and uh and and then dog teams after me was like they were like five hours six hours behind me or so or more I don't know something like that yeah so it's a very very intense moment um How did so i made it to the cabin
0: okay go ahead I,
1: I spent like five hours in the cabin waiting for the weather to calm down but it never really did much i mean i think that the wind uh improved a little bit it wasn't it was pretty bad but maybe it's just maybe it's even the daylight you know it makes it better yep so Finally, I'm like, I can't wait here forever, you know. Even even though there was there was some food, so, you know, people left there like you know some emergency stuff, and it's super comfortable. But at like four hours in, I'm like, I was getting anxious. I'm like, I gotta get going, you know. I, I'm not gonna stay stay here for a day, you know. So I repacked everything, like zip up with my <laughs> with my goggles on, I'm like. I'm going out. I gotta get I gotta get it done. So I left the cabin and I was fighting the headwind for a little bit and then it kind of turns. It, it, the trail makes left turn and it, it's following the shore and the wind became the crosswind again. So it's just blowing me over all the time. Sometimes even like I had a little push off of it. And I, I, I made it to uh, probably three more snow uh, blowholes. But it was, uh, it was doable. I, could, I managed to stay upright. Wow. And then I think I made it a pretty decent time to the safety checkpoint. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I, uh, I talked to a couple of guys, the trail breakers, I did a rap. And they were going uh, opposite direction towards White Mountain, I think, to maybe to rescue some of those teams behind me. So I, um, I had a little chat with them, and it was really nice. We kind of like, you know, um, chat about uh, conditions up there. And, um, it was nice to talk to somebody. I <laughs> to bet them. it was.
0: I bet it felt yeah. good to see others yeah. out on the trail. And at that point, you're 20 miles from Nome?
1: Yeah, and then I made it to uh, the bar, you know, safety. It's basically a roadhouse bar, slash bar. Yeah. Then, then I had uh, coffee and soup, and at, at that point, I'm like, this is, you know, <laughs> I'm done, almost done. So. Right. And then plus they, and it was pretty, uh, the wind was pretty rain. It was pretty bad still at the safety roadhouse. But um, they said, well, it's calm and sunny and no wind at Nome. I'm like, this is impossible. How is that impossible? You know, it's like it's like 20 miles from here. And sure thing. It's just somehow, I mean, there's a the, there's the big, you know, Nome. Uh, how do they call it? Um, Cape Nome. Cape gnome yeah and after that there's was, there's was no there's virtually no wind it was sunny and nice and everybody's looking at me like what wind you know <laughs> i'm like <laughs> you have no idea what's going what's going on you know what's happening out there Yeah. so it, it was pretty bad at, at safety uh, at, at the same time when i left it was blowing like crazy i had a short video of the roadhouse and but it, everything calmed down. Like five miles after that, six miles, I was cruising and <laughs> on nice. the road and
0: on the road. Yeah. Hmm. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, super nice. What are your emotions as you're, uh, like, as you hit the road where it's plowed, heading into Nome?
1: Um. So it's really not like it's not the road. It's only like last three miles. So it's okay. still on trail or, you know, it's like on a meadow. It's basically a snowmobile track. And I'm like, oh, this is taking forever. You can see the gnome in the in distance, but it's still like 12 miles. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> it's never ending. But, you know, eventually I made it to the pavement and, and I felt pretty really awesome. I was so relieved and happy i'm not like super emotional Mm -hmm. in those moments i just feel you know happiness and uh, achievement you know feeling of achievement and it's just being i'm never like i'm almost oh i'm almost always happy to be done like i don't like oh like i'm not sad about this ending because i have always something else in my mind planned so it's not like it's the, you know, end of the, uh, end of the world, or, you know, it's just end of the chapter and the next chapter is just waiting ahead. So, right. so I felt really relieved and happy and, and, um, excited. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's especially when I did it this year, I did it solo and it's a different experience. You know, I had, a I had a chance to have different experience every time. And just just to be this time being different, you know, felt to be awesome, different, yeah. and great. <laughs>
0: well, okay, I was okay. uh, I was having fun yeah. watching your dot cross the state of Alaska, <laughs> and it uh, it looked like you were going fast, like you were you were hauling ass across uh, across the state. Relative, you finished this year in sixteen days. Comparing that mm-hmm. to 19 days and 22 days in the past. And those were both victories. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it seemed like you were going fast. And then I saw the video of the blowhole and all the stories about the blowhole, everyone, that was the talk of the, mm-hmm. of the, uh, of the race, both dog race and ITI yeah. was the, I had the final 50 miles, final 60 miles. And yeah. how hard that was it was it
1: was really hard it was really tough and i don't say I, I, i'm not usually i wouldn't say lightly but i wouldn't i wouldn't say i was going to die or anything like that, but at the same time i was i wasn't hundred percent sure that i'm gonna make it too i mean i i wouldn't say I uh, you know i wouldn't say i was thinking about getting you know, stranded or I don't know. I don't like to use that word dying, but um I wasn't sure if I can make it through. It was pretty yeah. intense. And then uh it's funny how it feels like like a bad, like a nightmare, like a bad dream and it kind of dissolves, you know, in my in my memory because it was so I was only focused on one thing to get over and get through it. So it kind of like basic instinct, you know, it's just need to focus on just getting through it don't make sure don't injure yourself you know Mm -hmm. and just pay attention to everything and just get it get it done get it and make it through it and those so you don't get a lot of other uh memories about those moments you know it's pretty intense Uh, i don't know i don't know how how i was like you know um (laughs) <laughs> how to explain it, it's, it's pretty...
0: It's very it's intense, pretty, yeah. Well, well, pretty, uh, the reality yeah, is people do die and have died out there. Yeah. Even 25 miles from Nome, so it's yeah, not unheard yeah. of that people can get in trouble out there. And we're glad was you did it. I, I, I thought about
1: that story of um, Tim Hewitt because right. the same cabin, right? So I was basically at the cabin. I had a little bit of time to reflect on what just happened. And I, was, I thought about um, Tim Hewitt getting stranded and luckily getting, um, you know, help and rescued from there. So Which those if, are the moments, you know, a little bit of time to think about, uh, you know, the situation. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And if Tim Hewitt pushes the button, rescue button, you know yeah. it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, it was great to catch up. I yeah. appreciate your time today, and I'm excited that we were able to connect and record this. And we'll yeah. post it to the interwebs for pleasure. Uh, <laughs> forever. Yeah, for sure. I wish I um, could explain it better, but uh. <laughs> well, we'll uh, um, I'm going to point people to a thousand miles to Nome, which mm-hmm. again is you helped tell that story in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a long flick. But uh, if you want to see what life is like on the trail, then uh, a thousand miles to Nome, I think, is a good kind of storybook. Yeah, uh, yeah, life on the Iditarod Trail. Mm -hmm. Um, But listen, awesome to see you. Awesome to catch up. Yeah, and uh, talking to you. Pleasure to hear the story of 2022 and your 16-day adventure.
1: Cool. All right. Happy to. (laughs) Okay.
0: Sha. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, see you again somewhere. Arrowhead or some other. Next year frigid, frigid uh, bike race. through yeah, Next year in Alaska. What's that?
1: <laughs> next year, and I did uh, again.
0: Are you doing it again?
1: Yeah.
0: You've Start already said. Switch.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> did you say I switch to
1: skiing? Yep.
0: You're crazy man. How far?
1: (laughs) A thousand miles.
0: There's not a lot of people who've made that. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I know. See what I can do. (laughs) But I'm pretty excited about it. (laughs) That's
0: crazy. Have you done Arrowhead on skis?
1: No, not yet. Not until uh, next year? It's a plan, yep.
0: Yeah, to Scobia as well?
1: Maybe, not sure. Maybe I'll do Scobia as well.
0: I feel like all the time on skis you can get Mm-hmm. the better
1: yeah yes yes maybe i'll do that it's not
0: too far so yeah it
1: would be good uh
0: learning curve. Yeah. oh <laughs> you're a crazy man you are a crazy man you know it's kind of funny you think about hey we're putting on this race through alaska it'll be on snowmobile trails and you can pick a bike you can go on foot or you can ski and you're like it's on snow yeah yeah it's on snow well, skis make the most sense, right? But they're the hardest thing. The tra- its a snowmobile trail, not a ski trail. I
1: know. And it's I know. so
0: hard. Your skis are going every which way.
1: Yeah, I just have to—I have to try it to see how it is. And I had—it's funny. Funny thing is that I had a lot of moments on a trail this year because, as well, because I was by myself, and I'm, I had really like high highs and low lows. And I was thinking, how is it, you know, how is it for runners or skiers? Because for me as a biker, it can change from that's I, 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 what I'm like, that's what I think that was happening is that for for a biker, you kind of like you are expecting to ride, right? Your bike. Right. But instead, sometimes the trail turns bad and you are degraded to a pusher. Right. <laughs> And it changes everything. It changes, uh, you know, your expected time to get to the destination. It changes everything. But on skis or for runners, you know, or, you know, you people on foot, it, I don't think there's a big difference, you know. There's, of course, you know, it, it's getting harder or, or better, you know, but I think there's not a lot of difference between that. For bikers, so I'm. I have to just try to see if my theory is huh, correct. That's,
0: that'll be interesting. I'll be excited to talk to you afterwards. Yeah, yeah. See how yeah. Uh, how you found that because you're right. Their their pace doesn't change all that much, like it yes. would on a bike yep. when you have to get right. off and post hole through mm-hmm. deep snow mm-hmm. and push your seventy pound bike. Exactly. On skis, so, you're just always pulling the sled.
1: I'm just very eager to to see how it is for. In you know, in different, uh, different mode, different.
0: So it's going to be different experience and different yeah, adventure. for sure. For sure. to do it. Yep. Huh. Well, you are a crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> you are a crazy man. Well, listen. Thanks again. Awesome to catch up. Good yeah. luck next year. Cool. And, thank you. Uh, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll see you at some uh, bike races this summer. Yeah, look
1: forward to it. Right.
0: Peace, brother. It's just hard to imagine riding a fully loaded fat bike a thousand miles to Nome. It's hard to imagine, and I was actually there to see it. I'm going to put in a plug for our film, A Thousand Miles to Nome. It was filmed and edited in 2019 by yours truly, and produced by Expand Your Possible and Steve Cannon. It's available to rent or buy at ExpandYourPossible.com. And it's available for streaming on the Adventure Plus streaming app or AdventurePlus.com. They do offer a free trial, so look it up. I'm going to guess, though, that if you're still listening to this, then you're going to dig Adventure Plus and want to subscribe. I've got a few films on it already, including A Thousand Miles to Nome, as well as Down the Cuscoquim, which was a film about the 350-mile race to McGrath, and also Reach for the Stars, a film about the 100-mile Boonville Badass marathon run. I know I'm biased, but I think they're worth a watch, and I'll put a link in the note, show notes. Okay, enough movie plugs. But again, if you're interested in this show, then you'll love the films. And be sure to tune in next week when I do a throwback a few years to the 2019 I did a Rod Trail Invitational when I talked to fat bike winners John Logar and again Peter Inman. It's their post-race interview from the shores of the Bering Sea in Nome. So that's next week. But I'm also working on a couple of future shows. I'm excited about both of them. The first is Chris Daggs, team manager of the Lux Cycling Development Team, fresh off their ride at the Redlands Stage Race. And Emily Kachorik, owner and founder of the super niche and super cool Squid Bikes brand. If you want a unique bike, this is it. Well, that wraps it up this week. If you love the show, please rate and review on your favorite platform. If you'd like to support the show, look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com. I'd like to thank the folks who've taken the time to support the show and buy me a coffee. If you'd like to join them, I'd really appreciate it. And I will put your generosity to good use to help improve the show. I'll put a link in the notes. And finally, if you have any ideas of someone you'd like to hear from, message me on Instagram at d.mable 122 and you can find Peter on the gram at Peter, that's Peter without an E, Inaman. Thanks tons for listening and I hope you have a great week.